morning. Is this thing on? All right. I've been wrestling this thing over here the last 30 minutes, so if it gets to a point where it's distracting y'all, just be like, take that off, and I can yell. I got a folks out in the uh, Cimarron be able to hear me. That's all right. It's great to be back. Let me invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. Uh, it's good to be back amongst Creswellian joy. I mean, come on, spirit of God descend upon my heart. God. Uh, I get to travel across the state in uh, various capacities and hear different uh, songs that people lead their congregations in. I still haven't met a place like this in regards to music. Yet there's, there's a lot of songs where people get amped up and we get the anthem rock going and it's like, Jesus, yeah, yeah, you know. And you can get hyped. But I, 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 I pray, I pray that you don't take for granted the shepherding and the care through the songs that are selected and sung here. And uh, what, a, what, a, what a gift, brother. Thank you for continuing to inspire me. As many of you know, uh, I cry a lot, so, uh, <laughs> and I can't get in front of it sometimes. <laughs> but uh, George uh, took me, took a fledgling Christian under his wing and discipled, discipled me for some years and continues to, as just a minute ago, just inspired afresh to take the gospel to where it's not. Come on. So thank you, brother. Uh, when I accepted the invite to come and preach, I thought, I thought Larry had good intentions, and then I opened the text up, and I realized he was pawning off difficult text to me, <laughs> keeping all the text for the love of God for himself. Man, that's so selfish. Come on. No, no. <laughs> no I'm totally kidding. It's been so good to swim in this text the last couple of weeks, so thank you, brother, for the, for the opportunity to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Josh Reed. I'm deep on the bench in preaching here. It's like when the Braves call up AAA players just for a doubleheader and then send them back down for the day. That's basically what it is. Uh, my wife and I, Jacelyn, uh, we were here for, uh, from 2008 to 2013 with uh, five of our kids at that time. We've added one since. And um, we have great fondness of memories here. Uh, God just really forming our hearts and our minds for the love of the church, love of the gospel, and the love for his mission. We were sent out to help plant Oaks Church Raleigh, um, pastored there for about four years, and, and now I'm a consultant for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, where in many ways my job is to uh, patiently help churches remember why we exist, which is to make disciples. And we as a family uh, try our best, struggling with all the Lord's strength uh, to do that personally, and, and owe a lot of the why and the how to this church. So thank you for your investment in us. Um, Oaks is continuing to do a good work. I was talking with Justin this past week. He and I are going to get up uh, this week and talk some more and pray through some things. But uh, uh, he and Billy Vernon and some other guys there are, are, are continuing in the disciple-making vein, the, the groundwork that was laid here. Uh, I was talking with Ranjur Locke last week after service, and we were discussing John's style for this letter. And, and, and John, John, if you don't know, was a close follower of Jesus. And, and if you're not sure of that, uh, he wrote five books of the Bible. 
Uh, Ranjur, though, gave a, a, a great analogy to understanding the layout of the book, and the analogy came from this book, that men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Now, stick with me here for a second. Waffles, think, think compartmentalized. I'm only talking about this one square in this part of the waffle. I'm not moving on to the next square. I'm staying in this square. He says, this, this book makes the argument, that's how men think. And women are more like spaghetti, like we'll start in one place, the ladies will then move to another story, and then end up all the way over here, and you're like, how did I get here? Now, it's unfortunate gender's attached to that, because I'm like spaghetti. You're going you're gonna to realize this today. But if we, were to, if we were to apply this to the biblical authors, it might look something like this. Paul is like waffles, and John is like spaghetti. <laughs> Paul, one thought builds on another in a very logical sense. I mean, legend has it that the uh, Harvard Law School took the book of Romans and utilized that for how to make an airtight case. Uh, John, on the other hand, is like spaghetti. He mixes it all up and he comes back to some core ideas. And, and John's spaghetti is a particular blend of three noodles. And the three noodles that John uses is life, light, and love. Life, light, and love. Now, from homework, go. this is where you want to get your pen out. Homework this week is go to Psalm 36 and see where life, light, and love all intersect. And I think, I think that might have been John's favorite psalm. I'm not sure. That's for you to do, decide at homework. But this letter John wrote against false teachers. And he's, these false teachers have gone out from the midst of the people that John's writing to. They, they had stopped believing certain core tenets of the faith, causing all kinds of problems. And, and there's three tests that correspond to these kinds of noodles for John in this letter. There is the light test, the doctrinal test, the content of their confession, the love test, the, the social test, the, the nature of relationships. And then the life test, the ethical test, the quality of their character. And he's pointed to all these multiple times in the letter today. And in our text, it comes back to the light noodle. So if you will, look at these six verses with me in chapter 4 of the letter of 1 John. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is, there is a tight link to taking in messages, the way we live and love in the here and now, and with eternal life. An unwillingness to critically assess the messages that bombard us every day will lead to spiritual ruin, both individually and corporately. And the reason is everything is charged. There is no neutrality in the messages that come at you every day. 
There's nothing neutral. False prophets, John says, have gone out into, into the world. They are extremely active. Now, to be sure, this letter was written to followers of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to consider what we're going to talk about today. How do you discern what's true or not? Especially in matters of reality and eternity, of life and death, of ultimate purpose. But most importantly, about Jesus himself. Whoever you came with today would encourage you to grab some lunch or coffee and discuss these things. We love to talk about these things. We're not trying to browbeat people. We want to ask good questions and listen. We want to learn. If you happen to slip in here, uh, you can come grab me afterwards. I'd love to go to lunch and coffee and sit down and talk about these things as well. But John, in this passage, he's taking us deep behind the curtain of reality. And if we will listen today, the Spirit of God through the Apostle John will teach us why we need to test every spirit, how to test every spirit, and where to find the resources to discern truth from error when we do. So let's go to God and ask for help in these things. Father, now grant eyes to see and ears to hear. Many prophets have gone into the world seeking to deceive even the elect if possible. May none of us receive any messages uncritically, Lord, and help us to, as your people, help one another discern truth from error. Father, by your spirit, bring conviction now from your word and bring comfort as well. And above all else, make us more like Jesus today. We beg you as we behold him. And so it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Why should we test every spirit? Why should we test every spirit? Because every message has a supernatural origin. Every message has a supernatural origin. Look at with me at verse 1. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test them to see whether they are from God. Verse 3 says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 6 says, this is the spirit of truth and of error. Why should we test every spirit? Because every message, every spirit has a supernatural origin. Now, when I'm saying message, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of equating these things. A message, what I'm talking about is one that claims ultimate truth, one that talk, tries to encourage somebody how to live or how to solve problems or something along these lines. This could be uh, Hinduism, this could be Buddhism, this could be Silicon Valley. Technology will save your life. These messages come at us in all these various forms, so everything is charged. The people, the false prophets that were among them had claimed to be speaking on the behalf of the divine. And what John's doing is simple discipleship. Here's homework assignment number two. Read Proverbs 9 and Genesis 3. And look at how John's simply applying those two texts to this situation. There's two ways to live and two voices you can listen to. Spirit of God or the spirit of the Antichrist. This stuff is all throughout scripture. If you complain about homework, we're going to fall victim to exactly why what we're talking about today is important. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's two 
options of supernatural origin for all the messages that come at us. Two options of supernatural origin. They will either be from God or from the Antichrist. And there's a way that messages get to us. All right, here's, again, he's, he's pulling back the curtain of reality for us. So this is how messages get to us. There's a spirit of origin who sends a prophet who tells a message that forms a people. There's a spirit of origin that sends a prophet to tell a message that forms a people. And this happens two ways in this text. Look, the spirit of God sends prophets and apostles to speak truth and it forms the church. It's the language he uses for you or we. And particularly here, when he's saying we, he means the apostles, the uh, John, Matthew, you know, these guys who walked with Jesus and who wrote the divine scriptures. And you are like us. But this other way is the spirit of the Antichrist sends out false prophets to speak a word of error to form the world. You see this, you see this um, syllogism? I make words up, so help me out here. Is that the right word I'm supposed to use here? Symmetry? Uh, you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> there's, there's a, this is the way that messages get to us. There's a spirit of origin, a mouthpiece, a message that forms a people. Every message has a supernatural origin, so the need to test the spirits are critical. Now, the context is a bit lost on us, so I want to try to help clear it up just a little bit. The context here is house churches. They didn't have large congregations and such, so a lot of times they would gather in house churches, and this was a culture where hospitality was totally normal. Now, when you think hospitality, I know you think Holiday Inn and buffet table. That's not hospitality of Scripture. And hospitality in many ways is the use of one's goods and resources, homes, to welcome others in and to serve and to love and to care for people and to help them along their way. And so people would utilize this all the time in travel. There wasn't hotels everywhere. There wasn't these. The way people traveled was through the uh, practice of hospitality. And so... John says in verse one, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. And that, you, could, you could almost say, don't go on believing. And so what's happening is, is there's almost this uncritical acceptance of false teachers utilizing hospitality to creep into the homes and deceive people. He says, don't go on believing that. I mean, these people would come and they were daily in their home for days at a time, three, four, five days at a time, daily messages. It's like a prophet shows up and says, I got a word from the Lord. And it's not like anybody says, you know what? We should see if this is actually from the Lord. Just because you say you got a word from the Lord don't mean you got a word from the Lord. But what was being received uncritically was getting in and causing all kinds of problems. It was stirring up strife among the brethren, resulting in a lot of fear and lovelessness towards one another. And this must have been common because Paul tells Timothy the exact same thing in 1 Timothy 1 when he says this. He says, Timothy, hold the faith with a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith and shipwrecked others, among whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is serious business. 
In many places in the world, this is still true. When we went to Africa uh, a couple of years ago, a guy named Dr. Kim, who still to this day is probably the best preacher I've ever heard. He preaches to a house church of about nine people three times a week extemporaneously. And it is solid, <laughs> powerful. He was telling this story, though, of all these false prophets who travel all throughout the continent of Africa, um, gathering large crowds and gaining large amounts of money into themselves. And he says, Josh, there's a common story behind almost every single one that I've come across. They have this vision, this dream, and they're to go to the ocean, and they are to wait for this figure to come out of the ocean, and they are to then lie with the figure that comes out of the ocean. And by doing so, in essence, they're selling their soul to the spirit of Antichrist, and they will be able to deceive millions to get what they actually want. Now, that sounds stupid to us. But false prophets have gone out into the world, and they've been charged by a supernatural origin to tell a message to deceive and to form and to perpetuate enemies of God. Now, you need to believe that or you don't have to. But you need to reckon with what's happening in our actual world. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. You know why? Because of enlightenment. The spirit of our world says that stuff doesn't exist. The need for the Swana people and Kenyans to test the spirits are critical, but the need for Americans to test the spirits are critical too. And don't think this doesn't happen in our context, what I'm just talking about. I had a friend who was really struggling in, uh, uh, in their marriage, and he went to their church, and the first thing the counselor said, said, well, did you give this month? The first thing in marriage counselor, did you give this month? I met a guy this past week, Defy Gravity. We got to talking, exchanging some information. He asked us about, we go to church, I asked him the same thing, and he said, no, nah, I kind of do the online thing. I watch Kenneth Copeland. That's my guy. You mean the guy who said God told me to lay hands on a plane because he promised to give it to me? That guy? Um, many are being blinded to false prophets. And the need to test the spirits are critical. And I know, I know, I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Because I, I don't think the majority in here would be deceived by such things. That's, these are easy targets I'm picking on right now for us, right? Us reasonable and very mindful people. We're educated. But as Oswald Chambers says, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. This is the backdrop, John says, is the backdrop. This is behind the curtain of reality. He's either speaking truth or he's not. If we know this to be true about our world, what are the messages coming at us? And how are they getting to us? How are they animating our lives? Let me just give you a couple. Ah, the Bible's not true. It's made up and messed with, and it's time for you to really uh, grow up and think on your own. Any of you who's getting ready to go off to college, get ready. That's the message you're going to hear. It's the spirit of the academy. The prophets are professors. Supernatural origin? You better believe it. Oh, technology. Well, that's the answer to all our problems. What you need is a smartphone because it can, it can order your whole life. 
The prophet, one of the main ones, Mark Zuckerberg, it's the spirit of Silicon Valley. Supernatural origin, you better believe it. Take note that technology makers prohibit their kids from using their same technology. That should tip you off that something's going on. We're wrestling with this in our own home right now. What do we do? I sat down with Mark the other day. I was like, how do I do this, brother? <laughs> All right. America first. Current prophet, POTUS. It's the spirit of many, not all, who think that America is the most primary thing about this world. Supernatural origin? You bet. Read the book of Daniel. How does this message get to us? TV and movies and social media and internet and magazines and blogs, and it's just bombarding us and bombarding us and bombarding us. And I know this gets uncomfortable, but fam, it blows my mind that we can come in here and sing songs like Absent from Flesh, and we can sing about the glories of Christ. And then we go home and the other 165 hours of our week are primarily shaped by the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Fox Newses and the CNNs as if those messages are truer than this word. And I'm disgusted by my own smartphone patterns in this stuff, right? But how is it getting in? Are we getting super frustrated? Do we find ourselves hopeless? Guess what? False prophets have gone out into this world. In the Western culture, since enlightenment, the prevailing spirit of, of our culture is that, is that the supernatural doesn't exist, that this stuff isn't really real. That stuff, that's real for maybe over there, but not us. Uh, one of my favorite quotes and kind of harrowing quotes is from a movie called The Usual Suspects. Kaiser Soze quoting probably Charles Baudelaire from France back in the day or somebody. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he doesn't exist. Or that he sits idly by if he does exist. John says, false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus said they were going to. John says they have. And they're active and they're shipwrecking the faith of many who receive the messages uncritically into their heart. We've seen brothers and sisters, even in this fellowship, shipwrecked because of receiving uncritical messages. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, you and I would be too. Uncritical reception of messages without testing it seeps into our consciousness so that we begin believing it. It shapes and it forms us. A lot of habits and behaviors and hopes and fears get wrapped up all in these messages. Your eyes, your ears, your taste buds, and your smell are all like a huge funnel. You ever heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out? There's a lot of truth to that. So think about what are you taking in with your eyes? What songs are you listening to? Who has primary voice in your life? There's 168 hours in the week. What you get here, three hours if you're hanging around the entire time, isn't enough. 
One thing John has shown us throughout this letter is that our behavior flows from what we believe, what we're taking in. Or to say it like the old theologians, our orthodoxy leads to our orthopraxy. Which is why I was here last week. If I can exhort you exactly what Noah came up and said, the life change classes here should be full to overflowing. Life change was so helpful for us because it was here that we began to learn how to think versus just what to think. And if you're used to just being told what to do, false prophets can creep in and you're going to receive it uncritically and not assess it. The best way we can raise our kids is to help them learn how to think instead of just merely what to think. Go to your room. Why? Because I said so. We're setting them up. We're setting them up to receive messages uncritically. And I'm, I'm, I'm about proper authority. Don't get me wrong. We ain't got to have a 30-minute discourse every time I ask my kids to do something. Now, I'm talking about a trajectory here. Every message has a supernatural origin, so the need to test are critical. But how do we test? How do we test these? There's, there's two ways, John says. There's the confession and there's the audience. Test the confession and test the listeners. All right? He says this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, everybody say confesses confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God another way to say it is that everyone who confesses that Jesus the Messiah has become human everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ come in the flesh now this is important because these particular prophets were claiming that Jesus was not really God in the flesh now, there's some debate on the nuance of what they were actually teaching, but they were, they were confessing that something was off from the story that has been told throughout and what has actually took place in the incarnation where God took on human flesh for us in our salvation. Throughout history, some aspect of this claim has always been challenged, always. Why? Well, you've either got the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist forming the messages. Of course, of course there's opposition to the message. Of course there would always be some part seeking to be compromised because if one part's compromised, the whole thing falls apart. If Jesus isn't God, then he isn't Lord overall, which means I can do whatever I want. Any message that claims that is not from God Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then his death didn't occur. Which means we're still dead in our sins and we have no forgiveness. Any message that claims that is not from God. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then his resurrection didn't occur. Which means the power of sin is not broken and there's no hope beyond the grave. Any message that claims that is not from God. If he's not God, he can't save. If he's not man, he can't save. If he didn't die, he can't save. If he didn't rise, he can't save. No part of the story can be tampered with. The message of Jesus is the life-giving hope of the world. If it's not convicting you of sin and drawing you close, it's not the real message. It's something else. It should both confront us in all of our sin and draw us with all of its beauty. It'll cut you up like no other message and heal you like no other salve. Every message has a supernatural origin. We must test it. 
does it line up with the scriptures or not? The only way to know is to know what's true or false. Any, bank, any tellers here in banking? Any tellers? None? Anybody ever been a teller? Yeah? Okay, got, got a couple. Got a couple. Tellers are the real MVPs of the banking world, by the way. Seriously. I was in banking for seven years in, in Atlanta, and uh, tellers put up with a lot of stuff. I mean, all kind of stuff. But periodically, people would come in and try to deposit counterfeit bills. Why? If they can trick the teller to deposit the money, well, it automatically validates that false bill. So they can just go to the ATM and go get it out of their account, a real bill, having deposited a false bill. So their, their whole goal was to try to trick the tellers. So tellers really are the real MVPs. You know how tellers can best spot the counterfeit? They count money every day. They handle the money so much every single day. They are so familiar with the real thing. They can look at a counterfeit bill and spot it like that. God has given us a word. <laughs> the God who spoke everything into existence has given us a word. If I could beg you one thing, wear these pages out. Don't assume. Don't assume anything. Be so familiar with the original that you can spot a counterfeit a mile away. Part of this for so long, um, Many churches, many, many Christians were illiterate. And so one of the ways they helped do this for one another was by reciting the Apostles' Creed regularly. This is a great practice that's been handed down, but it was to help raise the guardrails, to help everyone in the pews or everyone in the circles, in the homes, know what the story actually is. This is really a story. It's what the Apostles' Creed is. It's the story of the Scriptures. And so if you will with me, Let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Test the message. Does the confession line up with the truth of God's word? To the faith, Jude says, once for all delivered to the saints. It's not up for debate. And if you're not sure what you're hearing, be patient. Bring others into the conversation. But John says, by this, you know whether it's from the Spirit of God or not, if it lines up with the Word. Me and a buddy were uh, uh, spending some time in an in a area off White Street one time, and we had a guy say, the Lord told me I needed to divorce my wife and move to Virginia. The Holy Spirit just told me that's what I needed to do. 
I said, can you show me that in the Word? No, 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 no. I, I, I know it was the Spirit. Well, I believe it was a Spirit. But was it the Spirit? How do you know? Well, I just felt it. The Spirit will always work in conjunction with the Word. Always. 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 If you feel yourself being drawn to something that's contradictory to the Word, it's not from the Holy Spirit. I can promise you that. Test the message. But there's another part of the test. John says to test the listeners. Test the audience. He says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. He's really ramping up his rhetoric here, right? He's, he's, this is a polemical letter. It's meant to draw a sharp division. He's not trying to say like, oh, everybody, let's all, let's all. No, 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 no. He's deliberately drawing a hard division. When he says we, he's meaning the apostles. When he says you, he's meaning the next generation of disciples, which was for the original listeners and for us. And they are the false prophets or the deceivers. And you can tell much about leaders and their messages by who receives the message. I'm going to have to fast forward this just a little bit, but this, this could be a sermon in and of itself. John says, by this, by this, you know the spirit of truth and error. By this, by, by assessing the listeners of the message. All right? Don't think generic, though. How has John defined the world in this letter already? How has he done it? Y'all saw it not too long ago from uh, 1 John 2, I think it's 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in, y'all can just say this with me, the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from how does he define the world in this letter? It's a temporary life filled with pride and sexual promiscuity and greed and power-hungry moves. It's a world geared toward self. Self-preservation, self-gratification, self-justification. That's the world that we live in. And he says that's the world that has been formed by a supernatural spirit who send out false prophets and says, this is what life's all about. YOLO, you get yours. You, you do you. It just manifests every other generation with different language. I'm going to get mine. Look out for number one. Any message that appeals to your flesh and says life is about getting these things, is not from God. It's from the world. Supernatural origin? You better believe it. It's the same message that was told in Genesis 3. That you can have something apart from God. This is the spirit of, listen to what it says, of the anti-Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is just that, Antichrist. What does Christ embody? The story of Jesus bound, is bound up in the, in the life of self-giving love, not self-taking, not self-gratifying. The whole story of Christ is one of self-giving love. 
And so, of course, the spirit of the Antichrist would be not that. It would be the opposite of that. And so if you find self-interest being the primary reason that we do anything, what are we listening to? The Antichrist. Test the message, he says, but test the listeners. Are the listeners of the message marked with generosity? Are they marked with forgiveness? Are they marked with grace? Are they marked with sexual purity? Are they marked with holiness and mission and exhorting one another to these things? I'm not saying perfectly. John's already dealt with that in this letter in the first chapter. All right? But in a phrase, is the, are the listeners of the message growing in self-giving love? Such is the nature of the people of God. see the need to test and we see how to test and at this point um, perhaps you were like me when I got to this point in the text in assessing this that we've received far too many messages uncritically we've been formed by the world far more than we'd like to admit is there any hope for me perhaps you're unsure of your ability to uh, to do so maybe you feel you have to perfect yourself if I just try a little harder this week Maybe I'll really read the Bible a little more. Pray a little harder this week. I, I, I'm joking, but man, I, I, we fall victim to this stuff, this kind of thinking. S supernatural origin of that kind of thinking? You better believe it. You better believe it. And John's combating that right here in this passage. He says, little children, you are from God. And you have, this is, this is past tense, by the way. This is a perfect past tense. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How can you find resources to discern truth from error and live accordingly? John says, you have overcome them. Now, there's two ways to look at it. In one sense, yeah, they have overcome the false prophets. These, these false prophets left out from their midst. They, these guys overcame them by resisting them. They refused to be associated with them, uh, testing them and finding both their message and their character lacking. You have overcome them. They gone, right? But in a second sense, and this is where we want to land the plane today, John says the reason that you were able to overcome them is because you have already overcome them. The reason you have overcome them is because you have overcome them. <laughs> I know your face is like, wait a minute, what? I, I get it, I get it. Listen, John is saying that the reason you have overcome the false prophets, listen to me, if supernatural origins Raise up false prophets or real prophets to either bring error or truth to form a people. John says, the reason you have overcome the false prophets is because Jesus has overcome the supernatural entities behind them. That's done. 
It ain't an ongoing thing. They are defeated, and by faith, that Jesus, that overcomer, now dwells in you. This is the lost doctrine of the union with Christ. Greater is he who is with you? No, he says in you than he who is in the world. I know that's a wonderful coffee mug verse and phone wallpaper about, man, I'm going to be really courageous today and I'm going to be really brave and I'm going to jump off a cliff or I don't know, you know, whatever. But that's not the context here. The context is the cosmic battle that wages behind the scenes of our everyday life and the hope that John and the other apostles appeal to is the doctrine of the union with Christ. Say it with me. Union with Christ. Again, union with Christ. Union is the act of joining two or more things together. Which is why the denial of Jesus in the flesh here is so crucial. If he didn't come in the flesh, then we're not, we can't be united with him in that flesh. That means we're still in this flesh. In this flesh, we all know what's happening. We just sung about it. We want to get rid of this flesh. I want to be absent from this flesh. This flesh is sinful. I can't overcome this flesh. But Jesus came in the flesh. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus came in this flesh so he could crucify it for us, rise with the new flesh so we can be united with that flesh that will never perish. That's the gospel. And he just said right before this in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, that the spirit that abides in us testifies to this reality. It's a down payment. It's going to happen. Paul says it like this. My old man is passing away, or my outer man's passing away, but the inner man's being renewed day by day. I just turned 40. I'm feeling that verse, right? I am feeling that verse. No, the gospel says that in Christ, the two natures of God and human, two natures of God and human, are not two persons, but now one. In Christ, the two natures are one. There's a union of God and humanity that has taken place in him. So the holy God and sinful humanity are reconciled in principle in the one sinless man, Jesus Christ. That's how we can be reconciled to God, is that he's already done it in himself. And faith joins us individually and corporately to Jesus in such a way that everything that's true of him is now true of you. Everything that's true of him is now true of you. He's overcome them. You've overcome them. If he's overcome the spirits, then we've overcome them too. So we don't have to succumb to the prophets in their messages. If by laying down his life, he's exposed the spirits to an open shame, then we can expose their messengers to an open shame by laying our lives down as well. This is what being a Christian means, is that trusting that you are in him. And he is in you. And living into that reality, it's not trying a lot harder. I just got to try a lot harder. Yeah, there's effort, but it's not the way that it gets better. It's the reality of the fact that he's already in you. 
It's living into that reality and letting open ourselves up in such a way to let him come through us. It sounds like a minor difference. uh, But it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. If I can work myself to a place where God accepts me, spirit of the antichrist if you can save yourself by your works you can boast you can brag you can say hey I'm the one baby I did it or you can despair saying I can't do it I can't make it I can't get there I'll never get there it's the extreme well what galvanizes us to be both confident and humble. As Tim Keller says, we were so bad Jesus had to die for us and so loved he was willing to. So that that can empower a humility to proclaim someone else other than ourselves and a boldness to know that it's certain. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Um, How many of y'all been to Disney? Who's this? M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-C. Kids go crazy over Mickey. I mean, just crazy. Running up, high-fiving those big old white hands, hugging. I love you, Mickey. Mickey Mouse. I have a neighbor in Raleigh who has season passes to Disney World in Florida. People love Mickey. <laughs> but is that Mickey. Is that Mickey? Mickey is just a vessel. There's someone inside of Mickey animating him, moving his hands, hugging the kids. People coming up, oh, Mickey, you're awesome. But really, it's the person inside of Mickey, right? Who's animating the mouse. Mickey can't point to himself. There's someone inside of Mickey animating that. Brothers and sisters, if if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And the rest of your life is, is someone inside of you animating. You can't take credit for anything that you do. You didn't do it. It's Christ in you doing it. And so that's why we give him the glory. And you, you can overcome the false messages and the false prophets of the world because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Every message has a supernatural origin and the need to test the spirits is critical. We test them by testing the message itself up against the word of God and by testing the listeners of the message. And we find the resource to discern truth and error from the indwelling spirit who makes the things that are true of Jesus real in our lives and true for us. So how might the Lord have you respond today? Are you reveling in the goodness of the union with Christ? What voices have unfiltered access into your life right now? 
who, who might the Lord have you engage humbly yet boldly of a different worldview? Perhaps you're unsettled completely today and say, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't, I've never experienced this union you're talking about. Today's the day of salvation. During this next song, we're going to provide some space to come and pray. I'd love to pray with you. Others will be here who can do so. May the Lord have his way with us now as we think deeply on these things. Let's pray. So, Father, even now, we ask for much grace to not let this fall on deaf ears. God, help us to be... Uh, to critically assess the messages that come into our life. To be aware of what's animating us. And bend us, bend us toward your word by the power of your spirit. For those of us who are in Christ and he in us, God, would you grant a deep gratitude for what you've done for us and what you're doing in us. that we could be a sign, an arrow, pointing to the great hope. The hope of glory resides in us. It's Christ. Forgive us. Forgive us where we've tried to take credit for the things of you. And forgive us for shrinking back from false prophets and false messages. Grant courage, grant boldness, grant humility now. And it starts right now, doing business with you personally and corporately. So grant grace even in this, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.